Welcome to a brand new episode of Deep Thoughts with the Dixons. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Deep Thoughts with the Dixons. We are grateful that you are back joining us again today. We hope you found last week's episode valuable. Uh, That was the part one of a topic that we are going to be concluding today with part two. Uh, Nina, why don't you talk a little bit more about the topic we discussed? So last week, if you guys remember, we discussed childhood trauma and what it is. And then we kind of put our spin on it because not everybody goes through such serious traumatic events in their life that you know by the merriam-webster dictionary are like really serious traumatic events and so i think that those lasting effects can be kind of across the board and a lot of us can feel those effects and kind of become trapped by them that can hinder our growth in life so we just we discussed that and so part two today is going to be focused about one thing and one thing only it's going to be about how to overcome the victimhood mentality that some of us can get from childhood trauma But I want to preface this with something, and that's going to be that based on my life experiences and also seeing you and other people around us and those that have experienced childhood trauma, I don't necessarily believe that if if you're somebody who's listening and you haven't experienced childhood trauma, I don't think that this is an episode not for you. You know, I think that we can carry victimhood mentality even if we didn't experience childhood trauma. And we'll discuss that too. But the majority of the episode is going to be on how to overcome that. So anybody listening can kind of just listen with an open mind. And maybe you guys will kind of see like, oh, you know, I carry this mentality in my relationships. Or I carry this mentality when it comes to my career or how much money I make or don't make. You know, Mm -hmm. or I carry this mentality with my looks or my figure or my genes or my body by genes i mean genetics yeah, my body not image. true religions <laughs> i sometimes traumatize myself when i stare in the mirror and see how jacked and tan oh i am my gosh um so i just want everyone to have an open mind with this is it it's not just for people with childhood trauma we can hold these feelings in other areas of our life but before we do all that i realized at least i'm pretty sure we didn't. We never talked about our Dallas trip, and I thought it was the most. Oh one my of the best gosh! Trips we've ever had Dallas trip sponsored by Travis Scott. It's lit. That's <laughs> that's that's, that's a synopsis Houston. of what it was. That's Houston. Um, so we went to Dallas a couple weekends ago. I met up with one of my really good friends and her husband. And if we're repeating ourselves, sorry, but I'm ninety nine percent sure we never talked about this. But the first day we got there, first of all, I've never been to Dallas. Have you? No, I think that was my first time. Actually. Okay, so. I thought like right when we got there, I just, I don't know. I had so much fun that weekend. We were only there for three days, but the first day got off the plane, landed, didn't even shower. And we go to the tower. What was it called? The observation deck. Observation deck. It was pretty cool. Like overlooked the whole city. Yeah. And I think it was also a a mixture of kind of me being with my old friends again and kind of just hanging out with them because I hadn't seen them in such a long time that we all ended up spending like four hours on the observation deck, just having drinks, hanging out, just bullshitting. And, you know, we're like, oh, wow, we're still at the observation deck. But it was a really, really cool weekend. We ended up at the Woolworth later on, got this sweet kind of like corner couch area, like our own private area for the four of us. And it was actually, it was right across from our Airbnb that we were staying at. So it was super... It was funny. We actually arrived there. This was just purely synchronistic but we arrived there the airbnb that we stayed in was off of we're gonna get into that the next day is the tour when we realize that 
Yeah, so we're driving, but the, well, I realized it when we first got there because okay. we landed there and it was Friday the 13th and our Airbnb right. was literally <laughs> smack dab in the center of Elm Street. Uh-huh. So Friday the 13th on Elm Street, it was like, can you get more Halloween on Yeah, me? it was creepy. And then, the, so we went out that night, um, saw that big giant eyeball on, well, on Elm Street, the eyeball is behind it. So we were behind the eyeball. Yeah, there's this really cool, like massive piece of art right off of Elm Street, like behind it, right next to the Woolworth. If anyone's familiar with that restaurant bar, but it's like this massive, what is it made? Is it concrete? I don't even know. I think it's this massive concrete ball that's painted to look just like a human eye with like all the red veins and striations in it. And, it's across uh, from the Jewel Hotel. Yeah, it's it's a really cool piece of art. Everyone's in there trying to take pictures with it. It is. So anyway, me not knowing much about Dallas, we left you and Knabel. We left you guys at the restaurant for some reason. I think you guys are going to meet us. Excuse me. So my friend and I, we run downstairs and as we're on our way home... We decided to just hop, skip, jump over to the eye. And I don't remember much. It's kind of fuzzy. But I remember like looking up and be like, how am I going to get in here? Like, how can I get a picture in here? And all of a sudden, I could see through the bushes. There's like a space for you to walk through. And there's people in like up close to the eye at this point. And it's dark out. It's, it's like 10 p.m. Nina's also a professional parkour athlete. So she did like a little whip up backflip and then right over the side. of Yeah, the- no. Some you guys little backstory. Like when I am in my like fun mode. There's just, there's no stopping me. Like I have hopped pool fences in apartment buildings. I have gone like skinny dipping. I've done all of that. Borderline misdemeanor <laughs> shit. Like, I, like I'm just going to go do what I want to do. So I see this eye and I'm like, oh my gosh, Danielle, we got to go get a picture. And so we like, it was just, we just walked through the bushes. Like it was like an open area and other people were taking pictures. So I didn't think anything of it. And we're posing and I'm taking pictures for her. She's taking pictures for me. We couldn't really get anyone to take pictures for us um, because everyone else was taking their own pictures. And I would say like five minutes into it, (laughs) as I'm posing, this dude, this huge dude goes, ma'am, (laughs) ma'am, you can't be in here. And I'm like, what? It's a tourist attraction spot (laughs) on TripAdvisor. (laughs) And he's like, you can't be in here. There's a private photo shoot going on in here. And I'm like, well, that's not fair. <laughs> My friend and I leave, but we got the pictures that we wanted. So You know what actually happened a little bit before that that I forgot about? What? Is uh, we were driving in an Uber back to our place, and there was this guy who was obviously having way more fun than we were that was passed out butt naked on the street that we like oh literally, God, like yeah. was literally in the middle of the intersection and police officers were coming and like picking him up and he was just laying there naked like in the middle of the street yeah it was odd <laughs> like his head was in the street where he could have get run his oh, head yeah. was he, gonna he get got over. very hurt yeah so our uber driver stopped to kind of block the guy so that no car ran over him it was it's a very odd situation we were having so much fun and then that happened i was like what's going on here yeah <laughs> it was like weird but what was cool is on saturday when we were there we did the jfk tour yes and it basically gave us the whole route of everything happened when John F. Kennedy was down there visiting Dallas and kind of the, the way his car took. And then they well, give you people all... people might not know that that's where he was shot. Okay, yeah. Let's give some backstory there. So John F. Kennedy, our president, he was assassinated in Dallas, like literally a couple blocks from the hotel that we stayed in. And so... When we took the tour, they basically retrace, they, they drive you through, they drop you off at different points, they get out of the car and kind of explain the history of everything and the scenarios that laid out. They show you where his 
alleged assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, like the window he was in when he supposedly shot down in the two different areas that John F. Kennedy was shot. They bring it, brought us to like the hospital of where they did treatment on him and did triage and everything. And then brought us over to where Lee Harvey Oswald was living and then where he allegedly went after the incident took place down into like a movie theater where he actually uh, was caught um, initially. And I'm a big conspiracy theorist. Um, I've read tons of books on this. I've watched tons of documentaries. And I went down there with a very open mind in terms of, you know, I wanted to have this person that has a tremendous amount of experience in all of these different areas and all this history look at everything very objectively and she walked us through everything and after the tour i will say that i have no conclusive evidence whatsoever that lee harvey oswald was actually the person that assassinated him um and even the people that were with us i feel like that looked at it they didn't think the same either and they're not conspiracy theorists they're like there's really no conclusive evidence that he actually did this um there's just i don't really know what they thought i should have asked yeah, there's just really no like nobody saw him do it. Like the, the the facts that line up, if you're looking at it from like a legal perspective, like as an attorney, like it doesn't make any sense. It, it literally looks so, and if you understand how it happened, he basically allegedly shot the president out of this window twice and hit him in, a, hit him in this car that he was driving in with Jackie Onassis, who was his wife at the time, the first lady. Then um, Lee Harvey Oswald disappears and shows up 15, he's not seen again, 15 minutes on the other side of town completely. Walking down the street, a police officer gets out of his car. Allegedly, he shoots the police officer for no apparent reason. The police officer isn't even trying to go after him. He just shoots this police officer. And then he walks down the street to a store and then goes into a movie theater where the police officers actually go in to arrest him for shooting this police officer. Well, you missed the part where... There, there's like stipulation around this part that people are talking about where he he leaves that window after he shoots JFK twice, allegedly, runs over, catches a bus, and apparently people see him on a bus. There's already so much havoc in the town. And to give you guys some context, we were in the woman's car who was giving us the tour, and she was taking us the route of everything that was happening around Dallas. Now, Dallas is about five miles, did she say? Long or, or big, whatever. So... When she was kind of running us through the story, in my mind, I'm just thinking like, this is what the 1960s was it? It's like, how were so many people in Dallas aware of this one dude? Why were all eyes on this one dude all of a sudden? Not to mention, she did consistently tell us that the government media, like the White House media, was like flooded Dallas within like an hour of everything happening. They were all over this, blasting it, saying, we got the guy, we got the guy. Meanwhile, somehow he's doing all these different things, getting on a bus, going back home, walking to another building, getting on the sidewalk, walking yeah. this way, walking. It was just very. Oh, he it didn't even, make any sense. Yeah. He even went back where to where he works. Yeah. And also he was in a movie theater and he was sit down watching a movie. Yeah. This is where the police actually came in to get him because he stopped in a store right next to the movie theater before a this. Store, a shoe store, yeah. I think it was. And he walks in and he sits in the movie theater. He's watching a movie in the middle of the afternoon. The police come in to arrest him for the murder of the police officer. And the police at this time, from our, what our tour guide showed us, and from this is from a lot of the books I've read as well, the police at this time had no idea the president was even killed or shot. Like they, no, they didn't have any idea yet. They didn't realize that till after they captured him, according to what we learned. No, they knew he was shot. They didn't know that this is the guy that they were after. Oh, they, for that. Yeah, yeah. They knew gotcha. what they were thinking is that this is the guy who shot Officer Tippett was his name. Yeah. And if you guys, if you guys were in the car and you could see like 
how far the house was or like the the little neighborhood of where he shot Officer Tippett from where JFK's the window supposedly that Lee was in and where he shot JFK. It's like, dude, come on. Like, what, what, what was what, there's just no like motive behind it. There was just no real theory behind it. There was no real evidence. And I kept asking. I was probably really annoying because I feel like my mind was running from a legal background. And I'm like, well, who saw him? You know, like, was there prints? Was there this? Was there that? Yeah, their, their, their alleged conclusive evidence was, well, he was always he, he always went to work and he didn't show up that day. Yeah. And so was, he had to do it. Like, yeah. that made zero sense. It was all based on hearsay of who saw what and who did what. And so I was kind of starting to feel like it was the media over well, the well, years. He, well, let's go a little bit further with it. So here's what happened that was interesting. After they captured Lee Harvey Oswald, they brought him oh, yeah. to the courthouse <laughs> um, right in the center of downtown Dallas, right? They locked him up in there and they the media were just flooding this place, yeah. right? And so the next morning they were planning on bringing him literally like a mile down, I think it was a mile, mile and a half down the street to a different jail where he was actually going to be stood for trial. And so they brought him in handcuffs up into this corridor in this hallway. And then randomly, a random nightclub owner named Jack Ruby, business owner, entrepreneur, nightclub guy, walks in through the media, through the police officers and shoots him dead, like just shoots him, right? So John F. Kennedy just dies. The person that everybody thinks killed him just dies. And then Jack Ruby, the guy that shot him, he gets killed. So literally all three of these people... Officer Tippett is dead. Yeah, like Like, all these people die right in a row. And it's like, wait, every person that like could have had any like sort of testimony or anything gets wiped out in a matter of like 24 hours. And it's like, okay, this is looking more and more like somebody's trying to silence something. It literally left me just like feeling like, okay, so because this was just exaggerated and the White House got in there way quicker than the Dallas Police Department could do anything or the Dallas News could do anything. It's like they had the chance to get their hands on it and create the story that they wanted to create. But Lee, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald never got to go to trial. He never made a statement. Nothing was ever done. No, no, there was nothing that gives you any kind of conclusive evidence that this was the person. And also, while the tour was ending, our, our tour guide goes, people don't know this, but there's like five to six people who died that day. And Lee shot all of them. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, are you, you, like, you're giving this guy too much credit. Like, really? I'm sure that's not his like his life goals are not around this. And then they go into his like history with his wife and how he like left her and all this stuff. And I'm like, this has nothing to do with that moment with that day. And that's it's just one of those things that kind of like showed me I don't believe the system. I don't I don't it, believe it the seemed a lot. Of what I think happens a lot and has all throughout history she was a believer. is that the media programs people. The media crafts stories in certain ways. And then they program people by hitting them in the head with it over and over and over and over again in every outlet, on the TV, in the magazines, on the news, like online, like everything. People, people don't look at the news or listen to the radio and say, well, if he was here, then how did he go here? M- mass majority of people who are listening just go, oh my gosh. So he went from there to there and then caught a bus and then did this? They don't question the story. Yeah. You know, they don't, they, they don't say there's like, how did he do that all within 15 minutes? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was his motive for doing that? You know, like there's just so many, you know, things that like enter my mind or your mind too. Anyway, long story short, he was shot on Elm Street. Yeah. That was another creepy thing that I never knew. Everybody's <laughs> we staying if, on Elm Street. There's some, I don't know if anybody <laughs> has ever gone out and researched around all the really crazy. Okay, talk about the conspiracies now of why we think he got killed. 
There's several things. The money. So there, there's a lot of different conspiracy theories out there in terms yeah. of why this occurred. Um, I don't know if any of them are actually accurate. Um, you know, the, the story as to, I'll say this, the story as told could potentially be accurate. We don't know, right? But I, I, based off my research on it, I tend to lean on the side that I don't think the story as portrayed is accurate. There's just not enough I data points some, that connect him that make it sense. I think some very higher up people got him killed and this was just like a scapegoat who got caught in the middle of it. Um, do I think that he did kill Officer Tippett? Yes, I think there was enough evidence for that just based off the tiny stuff that I heard. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that he killed JFK. And I think that there's some other bigger pl- master plan behind everything. And there was like people higher up trying to sil- silence JFK because there was like more larger political issues at play. And I know some of them tied, are tied to Marilyn Monroe. I know some of them are tied to financial bank system at the time. So JFK was at the time was actually trying to, I think he actually did, or maybe he was trying to draft some brand new executive legislation yeah. around paying the U.S. dollar back to silver, I think it was, if I'm remembering correctly. And, you know, the people that, that controlled the uh, central banking system were not going to be fans of that. Um, because it wouldn't allow them to basically just print money out of thin air like they do today and then have these, you know, ridiculous um, mechanisms for how you can do different types of financial instruments and different types of way to actually control our macro and microeconomic uh, global ecosystem, basically, by the way you, you know, manipulate the money supply. So because of this executive legislation, that's one of the bigger conspiracies that's yeah. out there. And um, it makes sense I, to me, know, though, because let's let's pin this back to Gaddafi, what happened. What was that country? Um, I'm going to sound really stupid right here. What was the country that Gaddafi was tied to? Where he was trying to make things, where he was trying to do Bitcoin and gold. What? Gaddafi. Isn't there I don't think he was, it was was Libya, but I don't think he was trying to do. Was it Libya? (laughs) But I don't think he was trying to do Bitcoin stuff, was he? Yeah, yeah, no. He was a big proponent of Bitcoin and he was a big proponent of like, um, kind of diminishing the dollar and saying that there should be the same currency stream. And that's, if you really, really look into it. No, he wasn't that, a Bitcoin guy. He passed away in 2011. That was way before Bitcoin I'm was I'm telling you, he was trying to make a whole currency. You're saying no to me and I'm trying to tell you that I read about it. <laughs> Don't believe everything no, you read. We're talking me. about this right now. I know, but trust me, like I, I do believe that that guy had way more knowledge of currency and of where the financial institutions and the banking institution of America were trying to take things. And it's not for the benefit of people, but that's for a different episode. Okay. But that's what the conspiracy around him is, that that's why he got wiped out. Oh, well, that's a, I think that's actually factual. The financial system stuff has caused a lot of leaders. Um, if you really look at the places around the world that don't have a centralized banking system controlled we're by like the Rothschild family. There's actually like we are always at war with those people to try to gain control, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of a unique data point to consider. Um, but what I was talking about before that is there's a bunch of remarkable coincidences between Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy, like very creepy stuff that which is exactly um, what makes me think this is an inside job, like from the White House. I don't really know if this has anything to do with that particularly, but it's what is interesting about it is it like... Don't undermine me, darling. <laughs> I will never undermine you. Um, like the, the coincidences between the two of them are like remarkable. Like I'm going to read through a couple. I just pulled a couple up because go they're like it. mind-blowing. If anybody should go out there and go check these out. Um, so Abraham Lincoln was elected to Congress in 1846. John F. Kennedy was elected to Congress exactly 100 years later in 1946. Lincoln was elected president in 1860. Kennedy elected president in 1960. The names Lincoln and Kennedy each contain seven letters. 
Both were particularly concerned with civil rights. Both wives lost their children while living in the White House. Both presidents were shot on a Friday. Both were shot in the head. Lincoln's secretary, Kennedy, warned him not to go into the theater where he passed away. Kennedy's secretary, Lincoln, warned him not to go to Dallas. So listen to that. Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's secretary, his name was Kennedy. Kennedy's secretary was named Lincoln. Both of them warned the president for which they worked not to go to the locations in which they actually worked. That's just insane. Both of them were allegedly assassinated by Southerners. Um, John Wilkes Booth is the person that actually um, killed, allegedly killed Abraham Lincoln. And he was born in 1839. And Lee Harvey Oswald, who we just talked about, he was born in 1939, exactly 100 years later. Like the list goes on and on and on about these just remarkable synchronicities that all happened 100 years from each other down to like the exact year. And it's just like, it's very, very interesting. It's like it's like a use case for reincarnation or something, like uh, and, and like the universe playing out very specific design plans or something. But you know, I don't really know. What, I don't really know whether that's accurate or not. But I do find it fascinating to read about. So I highly encourage people to go check it out. I also think that the tour was pretty awesome. Yeah, I thought it was too long. First, that's the only like feedback I would have, but it made me think like. Wow, you have to go seek. You can't just sit home and watch it like a documentary or watch one documentary or read something in school and grade school and learn something and know and get all the facts around something. You know, you have to I think you have to leave open for kind of like speculation at all times because we weren't there. You know, we didn't witness it. We were not we don't know what's going through people's minds or that, you know, that guy's head or the officer or what was going on behind the scenes. Sure. The weirdest thing is, why did he get knocked out by some club owner? Like, that's just the weirdest part ever. Well, here's the even weirder part. Tracing it back to that. The um, both Lee Harvey Oswald, which is who allegedly shot yeah. Kennedy and John Wilkes Booth, who allegedly shot Abraham Lincoln. Both of them were assassinated almost immediately. Yeah, before they could give statements or trial. Lee Harvey Oswald, according to the tour we had, well, didn't he say I'm a I'm just a patsy or something like that? No, so that was in the movie theater when he was actually getting arrested. He stood up to the police officers when they were arresting him and allegedly stated, "I didn't shoot anybody," and they thought that was kind of weird because he'd only shot this cop. Like, what are you talking about? He goes, "I'm not there," but he ended his statement by saying, "I'm not their patsy," almost like he knew something, which was kind of odd. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that was unique is that. Um, both of them were, were assassinated right soon after it occurred. But Lee Harvey Oswald never gave a statement at, at, when he was in jail. He never allegedly he never like said anything about the events or anything. Mm-hmm. So they, they never were actually able to provide any conclusive evidence. You know what else was weird it. is why did the detective, the lead detective, have himself handcuffed to Lee when all this happened? That's so odd. I don't know. Back in the day, would they do that? Just people? Maybe they were didn't have maybe I don't know that. Or something. I don't I'm know. not sure. It was just awkward to me. The whole situation was weird. Anyway, that was our Dallas trip. Um, we went out that night to a really cool sushi restaurant, had some drinks with friends, and then the next morning we bounced. We actually had a later later flight, but it was cool. I liked it. I liked Dallas a lot. I would definitely love to go back. I kind of want to see Houston next because um, I'm a big Travis Scott fan, so I definitely want to see it. Um, what else did we do? We saw Hustlers. Did you like that movie? It was okay. It, it was. I mean, it was entertaining. Definitely not a family flick for anybody out there. <laughs> Definitely not a family flick. But it was. Oh. It was interesting. It was actually. It was based on a true story about these adult dancers in New York, yes, right? Yeah. And they were like trying to figure out ways to generate more money when they yeah. were dancing. When the, no, when the crash happened. Yeah, because the financial the, crash yeah. happened and nobody was coming to like so adult Street, entertainment clubs these anymore. These Wall Street bankers who were blowing money left and right stopped 
stopped coming in because of the crash. And so Ramona, the main actress in the or the main character, which is played by J-Lo, um, kind of takes things, puts a really good spin on it where she's kind of like has a little side hustle going where she gets these group of girls wrapped around and, you know, they start to like kind of pull guys in and drug them a little bit. I don't yeah. even know the two drugs that they were using. They were mixed. I think they were mixing with ecstasy and ketamine. Okay. In, in the movie. So what it would do is it would basically knock the, knock the person out cold and then like make them still like happy and go a along with what like a little bit enough to still get a card yeah and then they would like they would like escort them into the club into these private rooms and then be swiping their cards for tens of thousands of dollars but then they would take a cut of that so they were helping boost the sales of this club and because they were bringing in those customers because the club was losing money too because of the crash so when they were doing that they were taking a cut i thought it was a pretty genius idea in many ways don't touch my tea i saw you going <laughs> for it so it was good i think my most favorite part about it were, were there was two things your most favorite there's how are you supposed your favorite part my favorite two favorite parts um i love cardi b i'm a big cardi b fan she was, pre- she was actually pretty funny she in was it. hilarious in there and second was if i could be like j-lo when i'm 50 years holy old. cow like yeah. oh my you could t- i mean i don't know if she does botox and all that jazz but she had a fuck ton of wrinkles on her face like on her forehead i was watching her in the last ending scene talking to the woman who was taking her interview if you remember and i'm like Man, like in her face, she she has the wrinkles and stuff. Like she looks like a normal person, but her body and her her general overall, like I feel like she looked like a healthy fifty year old woman. Like she, really, she, not fake. I didn't, she legit in the movie. Like if I saw her not knowing her age, like just seeing her in her physical she could pass physique, for thirty. She was literally looked like she was like 34, 35 yeah. years old, and, so, and just like completely ripped. Yeah. So like that made me <laughs> do some research about her. Now, obviously, I don't know how true this is, but like. What's her skin routine? What's her diet like? What's her workout routine? Like, she wears baloney face masks. No, she, listen, she doesn't drink, which I completely agree. Like the people in my family who don't drink look young as hell. Like that's drinking is just that. I think that's the biggest age. I don't, you can get all the Botox in the world. You will end up looking like shit if you're a big drinker. I think it's just a lot around the dehydration. Kind yeah. Of in the, and just the effects on the yeah. body. But if she you can figure out ways to hydrate yourself. She doesn't um, drink caffeine. And what was the other thing? That's interesting because that's a dehydrator too. A lot of caffeines, especially coffees, those are uh, dehydrating to your skin. She doesn't drink. Oh, she washes her face every time after workout immediately. And she also said, I think she works out, what, six days a week religiously? She works out six days a week. But the funny thing about that is, is that lately I've been seeing in the media how women who work out too much or run too much, their skin like sags on their face. And if you get Botox, you can't really be working out that hard because Mm -hmm. it does the opposite effect. Well, clearly she is doing fine. <laughs> um, so I really liked that part. I thought that was very empowering for people to see how somebody, I mean, I know she has personal trainers. I know she has fitness nutritionists and people making her meals and whatnot. And she makes smart decisions. But I think we could learn from her. The whole drinking and no caffeine thing. I think that's a very, it seems like a, it seems like solid advice. Like I see it's working for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was my favorite part of just seeing her basically kill it in the movie. I thought she was really good. I mean, it was entertaining. I think it's definitely worth a watch yeah, for sure. It was good. And I'm going to share a little bit of news about Brian because I have gotten him into something that I've been trying to get him to do for like a year now. Oh, you want me to share? No, I'll tell them. Oh, go for it. You guys, uh, I don't know if people know this, but there's a Legree method of working out and I would, it's not Pilates. I don't want to call it Pilates, but it uses the mega reformer machine, which is a Pilates machine, right? Pretty no. much. No, I, th- I think this is different. Um, anyways, it's it's a it's a really it's it's a high intensity, low impact workout, 
And I mostly see women do it, but I'm starting to see a lot more guys starting to do it now because it's easier on men's joints, um, men and women actually. But it's one of those things that I think most guys would be hesitant to try. And Brian's gone maybe twice before with me over the course of the last year. I'm obsessed with the workout. And now I'm doing the 30 day challenge. Now he's doing, yeah. So lately I've been doing a lot more calisthenics stuff. And throughout the years, I've lifted a lot. Like, you know, I've been very strict on my exercise protocol, but I'm kind of reaching a point now where I, and I like to, like, I run two, maybe two, three days a week, but I don't want to have to do that long term because I think running repetitively nonstop is really bad on your joints and tendons and everything. Dude, you're telling me. And this particular, so I'm always trying to figure out, like, how can I better elevate and how can I, create a, a good workout that's good for longevity and i think switching it up is very important yeah. too but this uh this plank it's called plank in st louis that's the, the brand here that's but the brand, yeah. uh, this legree method is no joke like it is easily one of the most challenging workouts i've ever mm-hmm. done it's basically very slow movements like it's a 50 minute class there's no breaks you use this machine and it's very low weight like it's extremely there's not like a, it's not heavy it's all about form and about slow movements and every single movement you do for the most part is like a five second count out and a five second count in touch muscles slow twitch muscles sorry so like you know when you're working out like when you're lifting weights and doing it fast and trying to do cardio with it you're you don't understand like the damage you're doing to your joints and to your muscles constantly for years and years and years and that's why i'm trying to maybe every year or every six to eight months i'm trying to add different workouts to it like you said for longevity because if you're doing something constantly your body's going you're going to hurt yourself in the long term some you're or it's gonna you're gonna plateau Mm -hmm. so you should always be mixing your workouts up give your body some rest do something different and that's kind of scary for most of us because we think that if we're not pounding hard and going and going that we're not you know it just doesn't feel good i just didn't burn the calories i have the opposite mindset at this point Mm -hmm. um I like something that makes me feel good mentally and physically now. And weights is just something that I'm kind of gearing away from for maybe another year or so. I stopped weights um, probably in June of 2017 when I really, I hurt my shoulder really bad. And so from then on, I've only tried to consistently get better and better about trying new workouts that fit my lifestyle and will like preserve my body and make it better as opposed to like damaging my body so something i've noticed already and it's i've just gotten back into it i'm a couple days back into this 30 day plank 30 day uh, protocol i'm gonna do yeah and it it definitely makes it like so you're stretching the muscle Mm -hmm. a lot while you're actually working it out so it it creates like a very elongated muscle which is a good thing because it actually stretches your body out it makes you more limber it makes me makes you taller um it's it's focused around lengthening your muscles and lengthening your body and like and like kind of like uh refocusing your spine like i've noticed in the past year my own body i was looking at pictures uh, my legs look much lo- i have long i'm more of a leggy person but my legs look longer my torso i have a very small tor- like a short torso but i look more leaner and longer i'm trying to focusing on the tighter part of things but it definitely lengthens your body which i think makes you feel you know when you lift weights or you run, you feel tight and crunched over. Well, this yeah, gives you the opposite. Feeling. And I think we talked about that too in terms of like lifting weight for a long period of time, how it tightens your muscles up and it actually restricts oxygen blood flow and 
restricts the energy flow throughout your body. And something I've definitely noticed is that with this, I don't get that. You know, mm-hmm. it's um, you get an incredible workout. You're like five, six minutes into this workout, like you're going through the warm up and you are sweating. Like yeah. it, you are real. You can tell it's working super good. And then you get like 15, 20 minutes into it, and you're doing movements and you're like shaking, just trying to hold your form. <laughs> at least I am right now. I'm sure like in another couple of weeks I'll be much better at better, it. Yeah. But um, I'm strengthening muscles that I don't hit all the time, right? So it's like a brand new thing. And I walk out of there and you feel so good because you're like, you're stretched out. You're, you're much more limber, but you can tell you just got an amazing workout too. Something I will say is I sometimes, if I ran the day before and the next morning, I don't plank in the first thing in the morning. Um, I've noticed that I kind of wake up with a slight, I don't know how to, how to explain it, but I was telling you today that I felt very uh, foggy, like brain fog. And I also felt like there wasn't, like I was just like tight, very just I don't know what it, it was just weird. It was like down my neck, down my shoulder. I didn't have plank till 4 p.m. today. So all day I was like, what is like, what is going on? Literally, and usually I do plank in the mornings. I go to plank after 15 minutes. I feel like I could, my, I feel like my body is breathing. Like air is just flowing through me. My blood's pumping through and I just feel 10 times better than I did this morning. Like I feel well rested currently at 6.40 p.m. than I did when I woke up. Mm-hmm. And yesterday I walked for six miles. I didn't do anything else. So that just goes to show you, um, you should really be changing up your workouts. I'm not against lifting weights by any means, but I think that people should um, kind of get out of their comfort zones for the sake of their bodies. Well, but I think too, if you are somebody who's super into lifting, you want to make sure that you're not lifting seven days a week, obviously. Yeah. And on the days that you take off, you should 100% be doing like yoga. deep stretches or yoga to try to realign your spine. I know something too, when your muscles start to get uh, too tight, regardless if they're big or small or, or what your physique is, you start to hunch a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, it also happens with us because we're constantly staring at computers, most of us at work and everything, or looking over our head or looking over our, excuse me, our, our uh, like looking down at our cell phones all the time. And you start to actually have more of like a hunched position. So if you, you got to really balance that out through doing deep stretches and you'll feel the energy flow better. So if anybody wants to try this workout, um, go to Legree.com and do the locator search because this Legree class is under branded under different names. But it's all still Legree, and you can like search for it in your city wherever it's the closest. Um, for anybody who's from St. Louis listening, my favorite spot to go to is Plank, and they have a Central West End location and a Frontenac location, I believe, right across from the mall. Um, I'm I, I go to the Central West End location the most, probably like every. I'm gonna go every day now for thirty days, just to like do the challenge myself. But um, I highly, highly recommend it for both men and women. Some of your friends do it too and they love it. Oh, yeah. The guys. I got, I got several of my buddies yeah. who are like elite athletes, like exceptional. Like, like, like I got one of my best friends I grew up with who's a tennis pro and another buddy of mine is a tennis pro. They both teach it like some of the best country clubs in St. Louis. And they were like, it is literally the most challenging, most effective workout there, I've ever done. And these guys are like world-class athletes. There's football players, ex-football players who go to my, go to the studio that I go to. Mm-hmm. There's ex-athletes who go there. There's professional bodybuilding trainers that go to this and still do it once or twice a week. So we definitely highly recommend it. And I'm happy that you are doing it. Yeah, we'll see how I look in 30 days. It's fun. Um, all right, let's jump into our episode here, like the real topic. So as I mentioned before, um, this is all right, guys. That's all the time we have today. <laughs> I know. I feel like we talked forever. So, how to overcome this victimhood mentality? So, at some point in life, I feel that everyone has had to do something against their will. Everyone has experienced like a difficult time when you know, I, you know, you or I or anybody else listening has felt humiliated or betrayed in some way. 
And I think many of us have experienced the loss of loved ones or even our own health. We've been victim. Some people have been victims of violence at home or school in life. But a lot of us cope with this or manage the pain. We go through this phase of like, I don't want to use this in the, in the wrong way, but like we're kind of like Debbie Downers, like, why did this happen? You're trying to process it, basically. So with it comes a bunch of emotions, negative emotions, sadness, guilt, um, humiliation, fear, just kind of um, lost the confidence in life and kind of questioning everything. But some people kind of end up living there, like emotionally living there. And this is what we call the victim mentality. And I don't think that this is only formed as a result of childhood trauma or sustained violence or humiliation, but I also think that this can be formed by our simple environment. This is, this is why I think that this applies to most of us. And often people don't recognize and don't even realize that they're acting like victims. And this is something major for you and I. I know that we've dealt with this before with the people that we know. It You can catch it in people when there's a part of their life that's not going the way that they want it to go. And they just go like, I just, I'll, I'll use relationships for an example. I just can't find a good guy. Like, all the good guys are taken or I don't want to be I don't want to be on my third marriage. I don't want somebody with kids. I don't want somebody with an ex-wife like I just I never I never find like the right person. I go on a bunch of dates, but I just don't do this. It's like constant negativity in a sense and not enough possibility and positivity in their comments. And when you're doing that, it's actually projecting the reality that you want. Like you do, you may not actually want it, but you may not realize that by having that mentality, that's the environment you're creating in the avenue through the universe in which it will project itself. And what I mean by that is if you're constantly saying, I can never find the right guy, uh, you know, all the guys I find have X, Y, and Z wrong with them. And you keep saying that, or you keep thinking that, you're absolutely right. And that yeah. will continue to happen until you embrace your current situation and you be, you're grateful for it and you express gratitude with everything that you have and what you do. Those people, I think they tend to like believe more that like something or someone else is controlling their life. Like it's out of their control. Um, we'll get into like how to overcome this mentality later. But that's what I see. And that's like kind of the um, pattern I see is that Whatever it is, there's an excuse for it and it has nothing to do with them. You know, it's somebody else's fault. It's something else that's happening. Like the blame is shifted on all the men in the world or the blame is shifted on their boss or whatever the case may be. They kind of almost, they come off as powerless in a way. You know, at least to me, I'm just like looking at them like, well, you have a choice. You know, you can look at it this way or look at it that way. Um, and they act like they don't, they can't get over this hump or they can't have what they want to have. So I feel like they continuously attract, like you said, this like cycle of what they're saying is what they're attracting. Yeah, you're right. You don't find that guy. Yep, you're right. You always find somebody married with kids. Like it just keeps going and going and going. And they also act like life is a drag. Like I'm constantly doing things against my will. Okay, I guess I'll go on this date. I've been on Bumble and Tinder for like two years. I just can't find the right one. It's like, then I mean, pivot. Do something different. Don't complain about it. Um I think that's where the victimhood mentality comes from. And it could be seen in all areas of our lives. Like we just discussed relationships. It could be career. It could be money. It could be, you know, someone not getting the promotion that they want or climbing up the corporate ladder as they hoped to be or even their body image. I've, I've heard girls say it's my genetics. Like my mom 
like, like my mom looks this way yeah. you know and that is like, oh being that like the line of i'm a like Jeez. allowing yourself to be a victim of your genetics is is completely it's, bullshit. it's completely inaccurate yeah uh you can literally change like you know 99.9 percent of people that's a made-up stat but i'm saying that, <laughs> but i'm saying the majority the, va- the vast majority of people so that have by brian dixon th- that have the the physical capability to do so and the mental aptitude to do you can fix that you know don't ever think that like i'm a big believer that like genetics um you know i mean don't get me wrong there's only you're not going to become a professional basketball player if there's certain things that are limiting you genetic wise but I'm alan t- iverson was probably one of the shortest people muggsy bugs muggsy bugs was shorter oh was he, he? yeah he was an older one but he actually so that's a, that's a great example like he did it he, he killed it and he it. became it but i mean like there are certain physical limitations i think depending on if you're if that's your goal is to be a professional i athlete. try to get you to become a professional football player i did they actually said you know we want you but we can't pay your quote and ooh. i was like ooh, it's okay because i'm gonna go do something else that can <laughs> okay we've got seven steps or seven things that you can do to get over this victimhood mentality and brian and i will put our spins on each one so the first one is to get over this kind of mental hump um release the pain of the past I feel, I feel like all of the, every one of these seven steps you have laid out could literally be like a slow jam R&B song title. Hold on, let's just read <laughs> Let's do it like that. I'll do the first one. Ready? Do a jingle. Release the pain of the past. <laughs> <laughs> That's number one, okay? Number, number two. Take responsibility for your life. Number three is, when your man leaving, girl, you always have a choice. Number four, we got... I can see your body language, so change your vocabulary. <laughs> anyway, all the, every one of these you have listed out. The next one we have is learn to say no, change your attitude, and taking small steps to get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, so the first one, release the pain of, of the past. I think this one comes from like, fr- this one takes a lot of work because you have to recognize that you have this mentality going on. Like just be upfront and honest with yourself because a lot of people, the problem is don't even notice that they're doing it right? You've told me that several times too. They just like repetitively just go again and again, like, I'm not motivated. I don't know what I want to do. Or, you know, I can't find a guy. It's just like, they keep going and going and going. It's like, dude, just put your energy towards something. And I think the first way of releasing the pain of the past is one, recognizing it. And then two, lean into your current situation. If you're single, lean into it. Like, let go of your fear. Stop being fearful of never finding someone and start believing that there's somebody out there and it's going to happen. And I'm just going to work on myself and try to attract the highest and best person. And I'll be very open-minded about all the people that I meet and just have fun with it. Like maybe this is not the right time for you. Or if it's a career issue, or you're trying to find what you want to do, but you're like, oh, it's been so long. I haven't found something. Again, lean into things. And when you do this, I think that you start to, to paint a different story. Like now this thing doesn't have such a huge hold on you. It's not so negative anymore. It's just a tiny little fragment phase of your life and it's going to come to pass and you will ultimately get your heart's deepest desires. I mean, it's all when things happen like this, it's there to teach you something. It's there to bring clarity or it's there to show you what you don't want. And a lot of the times we are not able to step back and objectively notice that, okay, this happened, but this also showed me I don't want to be like that. We're, t- we're talking about childhood trauma. That was um, part one of last week of this episode. Can't you look back and say, you know, if you had an abusive father or an abusive uh, home that you were in, like, I know now that I'm not going to be like that in my uh, marriage. 
I know now that I'm not going to treat my kids like that. I actually have something that I think could be helpful. And this is exactly how Preach. I try to interpret like the nature of our reality and what we go through on a daily basis. And I just talked to this guy this morning um, and I actually laid this out for him. I don't know if I talked about this in the last episode about my trip to Hong Kong when you I met that person. You have mentioned it, but, but refresh everyone. Yeah. Memory. So like a couple years back, I was on a business trip to Hong Kong and I was in this beautiful restaurant on top of this, uh, Without like, me. this, <laughs> this building. And I met this guy and he was the nicest guy. I was like coming out of the men's restroom and we started to truck up a conversation and, uh, you know, just started chatting and he was like, yeah, I live in Hong Kong now. I'm retired. And, um, I basically, he was like, I was like, how's retirement going? And he's like, oh, you know, it's, it honestly kind of sucks. <laughs> he's like, I, uh, he's like, I feel like I don't know what to do with my time. And he's like, I, I feel like I kind of, and I told him, I guess you probably feel like you lost your identity because you were so attached to what you did for your career. And I went into like this five minute tangent about like how I think about things and the nature of our reality and human consciousness and how I think we're all connected. And I basically kind of laid out like my view of how I've interpreted everything I've learned up to this point in life. And the gentleman is like kind of taken aback by what I said. And he's probably, if I had to guess, he's probably like 63, 64 years old and uh, starts crying in the restaurant. And uh, I like, I'm like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I, um, I'm asking him and like his wife walks up and she's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he goes, I literally have been trying to figure out some of these things that you just laid out for me so succinctly in just a couple minutes of my entire life. And I've never been able to get a good grasp on them or hear somebody explain it that way. And he's like, you don't know how impactful what you just said is to me to help me better understand all these challenges that I go through emotionally. And I like walked up and I picked him up and gave him a big hug. And like, I was like, listen, man, it's all good. We're, we're all in this together. We're just walking each other home. We're helping each other. And, uh, just recently he reached back out to me, um, just completely randomly a couple days ago. And he's like, Hey, can we schedule a follow-up call? I'd love to just catch up with you and kind of get you up to date on everything I've been up to. And I was like, absolutely. So today I actually had a FaceTime call with him and uh, he moved from Hong Kong, moved actually to back to the UK and, uh, you know, was kind of saying that a lot of the things that I expressed to him and things that he's re- he read our book and was a big proponent of it. And he's like, that was super helpful for me. It's really helping my emotional state. Um, he's, he was asking me like, what else can I do to really enhance that? I was telling him about meditation and yoga and other things like that. And I kind of steered him into our podcast. So I hope he, hope he listens to this and recognizes that I'm calling him out. He's, he's a great person. Um, but what I was going through with that and what I told him today was, I was like, listen, man, this is how I think of our, of the, like, the things that we learn and the chapters in our lives that we live. I think that there's the potential that before we came into the earthly plane in this human suit that we wear around every day, that we actually chose all the different paths that we could potentially live out in this particular lifetime. And we also chose the lessons, both good and challenging, that we are going to learn throughout this lifetime before we ever came here. And if you take that mindset with you on a daily basis, it allows you to not have these emotional roller coasters and ups and downs where like the good is super good, but when something bad happens, you just tank and you're emotionally destroyed. Can I just disrupt you for a second? So you're right. And that works because all of a sudden when you take that mindset that you just explained when you say like we came here with these predetermined lessons our soul decided all these and there's no wrong path and there's no wrong turn that you could have taken there's just lessons here that you chose for yourself it brings the power back into your hands exactly because you're laying out like 
my soul put these challenges or these good things in my life like, for me to I learn from them. Yeah. And even if I've had just a shitty past and mm-hmm. a bunch of terrible things that have happened and I'm all wrapped up in it emotionally and I'm having a really challenging time it's getting over shake it. shake me is what you have to think. Yeah, take a step back, view it objectively and say, what am I supposed to learn mm-hmm. from this? What is this spiritual test that was presented in front of me? And then objectively evaluate it, try to extract the learning from what it is, embrace it, be grateful for it because you potentially set that up for yourself before you came here. And now you can own that. You can actually take responsibility for your life, which is our second point we wanted to lay out. You can own that. You can take responsibility for it and you can focus on the present moment and your goals for what you want to strive for next in your life. But you can really just wipe the slate for everything that's happened before and realize, okay, those were maybe some challenging chapters in my life. I learned from them, but those chapters are in the past. I cannot change it. There's nothing I can do to change those chapters I've already lived through. Let it go. Focus on the now. And now let's move forward. Yeah, it's that you you laid that so perfectly because we talked about one, release the pain of the past. And then two, this helps you take responsibility of your life. And when you have that power back in your hands, you can now understand that from this day forward, I can create a whole new life for myself. I can make all new decisions for myself. I can be tried to become the best that I can be and just let that go. So it's like you stop looking back now. You start to look at the now and the future. Excuse me. And it's the future that should drive you even more so. Don't let the past drive you. When you're in victimhood mentality, you're letting the past dictate and you're constantly perpetually looking at that. And that's where you're attracting that. When you're taking the power back and you're taking responsibility for your life, you're saying, okay, those chapters are over of my life. I'm so over this now. I just want to be happy and I'm going to do whatever I can to keep moving forward and I'm going to take actions in the forward momentum that I want to go in. This is you saying now that I'm actively, this is number three, you always have a choice. I have a choice in every moment to choose to look back and to be defined by that trauma or by that event in my life. Or I have a choice to say, okay, you know what? It happened, but how can we make this better now? How can I be better now? How can I make the best of this situation now? How can I get out of this situation now? Like we are all, and it's also important to understand, we are all dealing with, with something in our lives, whether it's personally us as individuals or somebody we love and care about, that something traumatic has happened and it shook our, like it rocked our world completely, you know? But you always have to step back and take it and be like, you know what? And I'm telling you, I don't care how bad it is. Even in my situation, I can look at my story and say, it could have been worse and it's not. And my God, I'm so grateful. And we're going to come out of this stronger than ever. And I think that's, you, you always have to know that you have a choice to look at it that way. Yeah. And there's actually a remarkable quote that I read sometimes when I'm thinking about this. It's by a, uh, I think it was an ancient Chinese philosopher. His name is Leo Tzu, if I pronounce that correctly. L-A-O-T-Z-U is his last name. But the quote is, if you were depressed, you were living in the past. If you were anxious, you were living in the future. If you were at peace, you were living in the present. And I think that really succinctly lays out exactly what we're just trying to relay right now. Yeah, I agree. You have to be able to lean in and appreciate your moment now and then take the step forward and and know that you have a choice, right? That's number three. You always, always, always have a choice on how you choose to view something. Because at the end of the day, I think life, and this applies to everything, it's all about perspective. I have a great example for oh my this God, go for that it. I think is would be would really apply to other people. It's not like a, a 
like a personal use case example, but I think it applies to probably a lot of people. Let's take, for example, that you're working in a job, right? Yeah. And maybe in that job, you have a superior that is can be really challenging to work with, right? Instead of taking the mindset of a victim saying, oh, this person treats me bad or, you know, they demand too much out of me or, or, or whatever the excuse is that you're going to make up that's a negative energy uh, you know, thing towards that person, shift your perspective and say, I am so grateful I get to work with this person. I am so excited that I get to go to work every day. I get to learn. I get to have the opportunity to have a job in the first place. You know, but like just think about all the things you're grateful for. But if this person is doing things, whether it's good or bad, different than what you want to happen, take it as an opportunity to learn from that person and be extremely grateful for it so that when you get the opportunity to move into that position or maybe even move past it or you go and do something else, you'll have a, this bucket of learning that you've been piling into throughout the years so that you do things in a way that more aligns with you, but do not be resentful for it in the moment. The point is that it's being shown to you for a reason. Um, the fourth thing is change your voca vocabulary. So... Like I mentioned earlier, a victim, you know, people with a victimhood mentality kind of are very negative and they have, they find this subtle excuse in everything as to why something isn't going the way that they want it to go. And this is where you start to say, maybe it's an internal dialogue. I don't care. But you start to say like, no, I will find the right person or I will, I will stumble upon my, you know, my passion. I will figure out my career. Say the positive of what you want. Basically, start telling the story of what it is that you really want. And I know this might sound crazy to some people. Like, how are you going to sit here and be broke as hell and say, tell people that you're going to be a billionaire or say, like, I'm going to be a billionaire one day and I'm going to be so happy and successful and I'm going to be living out my passion every day and it's going to touch a billion lives. Well, you know what? Go back and read the life story or the journeys of every successful person, whether it's financial or health-wise, anything. I'm not like just talking about money. Socially good. I, yeah, yeah, anything. They all saw it, felt it, believed it before it was actually a true reality. Everything was against these people. They were built in circumstances that you would think that they could never come out of. But they just always told a story of they can and they will. They're working on it. And they didn't let their current reality... Or how long it took to, you know, get what they wanted, define their attitude or their mood, I would say. Mm -hmm. They always maintain that zest for life. And when you're thinking in a victimhood way, you lose that zest of life. You lose that love of life and you kind of become cynical. Well, if you're giving off that vibe all the time, you're just going to continue to attract more things that continue to make, make you more cynical. You can't change your external without changing you or your internal compass. Think of yourself as a compass. Like you have to become happy now in order to continue to attract happy circumstances. You have to continue to feel rich now in order to attract more money. You have to be grateful now in order to continue to attract more grateful things. A partner. I cannot stress this enough. And I've talked about this before on my old podca podcast and on this new one. I attracted you by literally like three to four months of just pure like cutting everything negative out of my life. And I got so clear and so intentional 
I'm t- I don't know what number this podcast was, but I literally wrote down what type of person I wanted to be. And I look back and look at my journey and I know why I took the path I took. I was not getting clear on what I wanted in life. I was just kind of going with the flow, whatever came my way, because I was so focused on career and finances and kind of fulfilling what I was told I should be doing. I never gave my personal life the time of day. And so I had to get very clear and the universe is like, it almost like took me to a point where I was just like, huh, I don't, this isn't even what I want. Anything that I'm coming across is not even what I, like, what do I want? And I started reading books on it and I started learning and I started actively doing these practices. It was almost 60 days to the T that you called me or you emailed me because um, you were blocked everywhere else. And that, <laughs> that's, that's what makes me think. It's just like when you come from that pure intention and you lean into whatever situation you're going through, I could have very well spiraled down and out and become a huge victim about everything and been like, my God, like all these guys suck and like it's Philadelphia. They're all filthy, like all this negative stuff. You know, they're all drinkers. They're all into like Sunday football. Like just the, I was literally running into everybody that turned me off. Like it was so bad. And so that's where I was like, instead of focusing on that, I started focusing on what I do want and like what made me happy. And immediately it shifted my mood. Like, yeah, this is what like, okay, I like this about this person, like that about this person and like this. And I kind of started getting amped about it. And I'm like, now I'm so clear on it that I'm not going to waste my time with a shithead. I'm not even I know I know I am so clear universe that I know and I'm not going to confuse the universe by taking an action out of desperation. You know, I didn't even when you reached out, I told you no. I think we took like eight months and eased into it because I wasn't I wasn't feeling that like need anymore. I was so clear on what I wanted. Even though I sent you courier pigeon roses. You didn't send me any roses. Bi-weekly. Oh, please. Bi-weekly, a courier pigeon dropped off roses. So change your vocabulary and tell your story how you want it to be and stop living in the past. Number five is learn to say no. So this is actually a good one because I'm reading a book about this right now. I'm listening to a book called, uh, is it Essentialism? Uh Yeah. So the book is called Essentialism. It's really fascinating, actually, but it is based around this premise of learning to say no to more things and only focus on the things that are the most essential to like your happiness and for achieving the outcomes that you desire. And it goes into a lot of different layers of what that looks like. So from like a work perspective, it uses a lot of these examples. It's like if you are consistently wound up in all these meetings and you never get anything done, take a step back and do an audit of what you've been doing the past couple weeks and analyze and say, is it really necessary that I'm in all these meetings? Can I remove a percentage of these meetings from my life that are non-essential meetings? And then I can just focus on the things that are important. But let's tie this into like, childhood trauma or like life issues sure like victimhood mentality yeah well another thing they learn to say no another thing that yeah so from a victimhood mentality perspective like you have to focus on what's essential and what's non-essential and anything that you're thinking about in the past that was a negative situation that impacted you is a non-essential piece of data that you need to delete from your hard drive and doing that you're going to be much better off for it but also from like a personal perspective uh maybe you find yourself saying yes to go out to dinner with a certain group of people or a you you are continuing to say yes to certain like 
um, friend, friendly things with people that are your friends from a personal perspective, but maybe those people don't make you feel good. Maybe, maybe they make you think about that thing that yeah. happened in the past and they yeah. bring that up somehow, or maybe they even just say things or, or maybe they were part of it in the mm-hmm. past and you still had them in their lives in one way or another. You have to say, is this meeting, is this person an essential part of my life? Do they drive me towards making me a happy individual and driving the outcomes I desire? And if not, figure out a way to politely remove these people. People in a victimhood mentality, like, and, and I'm not like, you know, putting anybody out here. Like I, I've gone through my own phase of this too. Um, we all have in some ways, but you tend to, you, you tend to do things because now it's all dependent on what you went through, right? So an example would be something that you went through that now makes you feel very insecure and you're looking for that attention, right? So are you around somebody who constantly stirs up drama with you who feeds into your drama because then you got attention from that person you know are you around somebody that did you attract somebody in your life from a negative place this is why some people are in these long-term relationships or married to the wrong person because when you met that person and you started dating you were not a healed individual you were coming from a place of all these bad demons from your past And you've attracted somebody like that who's now not growing with you. You're trying to grow, but this person is not. And you just don't know how to say no to it. You know, you're stuck in it or you think you're stuck in it. But this person keeps dragging you down, dragging you down. And sometimes, unfortunately, I did read about this. I don't have experience in this. There are people in our lives who take advantage of the fact that we went through something traumatic. So for an example, a guy could say, you have daddy issues. There you go again, like looking for attention. I'm not your, I'm not your effing dad, you know, or like a girl going through a tough times, like that happens a lot, you know, or like a woman is crying about something and the guy goes like, oh, stop being such a baby. Like this is you doing these things repetitively in front of this person because now this person gives you attention in some form. And although you don't like it, you're also not willing to say no to it. You have to stand up and say, no, I will not be treated that way. Or no, I will not be in a relationship where someone treats me like this. But you're in that perpetual cycle from whatever trauma you experienced. And so it's very hard sometimes to step back and understand that you are carrying some sort of victimhood mentality. So learn to say no. Number six is change your attitude, which kind of ties into everything we've been saying, your perspective on life. Stop giving that past power event any kind of like attention, you know, just like let it go. So there's a really, I think we've talked about this before, where attention goes, energy energy flows. flows. And so the more you think about that, the more it's going to perpetuate itself, right? And so that's why it's so important to basically just delete that concept as much as you possibly can and focus on the presence. Agreed. And number seven is taking small steps out of your comfort zone. So whatever the situation may be that Maybe you guys, after listening to this podcast, can pinpoint something in your life that's kind of keeping you trapped or keeping you thinking or feeling small. Maybe you can do the opposite of that, whether it's, you know, reading self-help books, accepting that maybe you maybe have a little bit of this in you still over something, or maybe digging more into this and learning about the different types of victimhood mentality and where they stem from and how to overcome them and doing things to actively get over that hump, you know? I don't know if this would be helpful for people because it's a little bit counterintuitive to what we're saying, but I do understand the way that some people tick. Mm -hmm. It can be more challenging than others to just drop something cold turkey and then like get over a a very traumatic situation. So what I'm thinking here is you could potentially walk yourself through an exercise for these types of people to attack 
this traumatic situation head on to help you get over it. And what I mean by that is write down like the three, five, six most important things that continue to bother you mm-hmm. about this situation and write down how they make you feel and then set a timer on them. So you're going to say, for example, you have 10 things laid out that you, that you just consistently think about from this traumatic situation. Write those all down and then every single day over the course of 10 days, read them and then mark one off. And the next day, don't read that one. Just read the next nine. Then the next day, just read eight. And by the time you hit that 10th day, you are sitting there, you're reading this, you're you're saying, you know what? I am not going to let these emotions conquer me anymore. You crumble up that piece of paper, you throw you it away, and you, and, getting, you, yeah. and you stay in the present, and you move forward, forward. with your life. That's a promise you make to yourself. It's I like love a, that. It's like an extra, like literally that's what you would be doing if you went to a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Can they would be helping you embrace it, talk about it, do it yourself. You don't need those people. No, you don't. And you know what else I would say? For some people, writing down it and scratching it off is a great way. Another thing you can do is write them each on a separate piece of paper and literally just read like, one and throw it in the fire. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah, burn it with yeah. a lighter or whatever. Burn and the past behind you like that. I'm telling you, that shit sounds so stupid, but it works. Yeah, there's like there's like a form of ther- therapy behind it. It's like therapeutic for people. Yeah, it works so well. So those are our seven steps on how to overcome victimhood mentality. Slash how to write titles for R&B love songs. That's right. Um, and we have a couple books. Now, a little um, disclaimer here. I have not read all of these, but I was doing some research and found them. The first one is Never Play Dead by Tommy Lauren. Lauren? I think it's Tony Lauren. Tommy Lauren. I think I spelled that wrong, though. And then the second one is How to Recognize and Overcome Victim Mentality. This is the one I've briefly read before. And it's very good for people who are not just affected by childhood trauma, but maybe something something else. Like maybe you heard this podcast and it's making you curious about yourself. And you're maybe like, hmm, I do act or think this way, but I don't know why. This one can kind of help you recognize the issue and then kind of dissect where that where that victimhood mentality is in your life. So that that that's good for those people. Um, and this one's by... Donna Lively. She seems like a lively lady. She does. That yeah. was a really lame joke. Yeah, well, that's what I'm here on this <laughs> planet right. for. Let's Super end it, lame jokes. End it with a quote. All right, everybody. So the quote that we have for you today is by the great Marcus Aurelius. And what he has to say is, you have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this and you will find strength. And this is basically in line with everything that we've been talking about in terms of capturing control over your mental processes over your thoughts over your mindset cutting off the things that make you feel bad about the past focusing on the present being excited for the future and being able to just move through the universe with grace i have two things to say here that could probably really help drive this home is one literally if there's one thing that we try to drive in this podcast is like your mind our first episode was about mindset like Our brains are so complex and so powerful that I do not believe that we have been raised to understand the power of our minds. And when something happens, we replay it over and over and over again. Or why did it happen to us? Or, oh my gosh, like you're just so down and out. Even if it's not to you and happened to a loved one, like you're just like lost in it. And it's just like this this rabbit hole that you go down. If you just get out of your emotions and get out of yourself for a second, you can realize that the only reason it's making you feel this way is because you keep thinking about it. 
you have to learn to control your mind. Which is the exact same thing on the flip side that allows you to manifest things you desire. Exactly. If you're thinking about something you don't want, you will manifest that think about repeatedly. You do so want. shift it and think about something you do want right. and it will allow you to create that. Right. Start focusing on the opposite of it. Forget that it happened. And too many of us, this is the second point I wanted to make is when something happens, you're so busy focusing on that event and you're starting to give it so much power that that's what keeps bringing you down. But I can look at something really terrible that's happened in my life and say, you know what, but here's the flip side of the story. And the story's not over until this one thing happens. And you just see that through. Like you keep your energy levels high, you believe in it, you tell yourself that every single day, and you do everything you can to make that happen. I think that's where the magic happens. And there's a bigger lesson in here that we all, like you said in the beginning, this, this gives me empowerment. When I look at something that's really just torn me apart in life, I look at it as like, this is like a past life thing. Like my soul chose this. You and I went to a, um, man, what is she called? What is Roxanne called? A past life reader? Yeah. Brian and I were recommended a couple of years back to go to a past life healer or reader. I don't even know what you call it. And for an hour each, we went to her twice. She literally, this lady was so spot on. It was remarkable. When I reached out to her, I didn't give her any personal information. I didn't give her her name. I don't even think I called her from my cell phone. And the reason I'm sharing this is because I'm trying to tell you guys that that's not bullshit. When we tell you that your soul has chosen to, even if you're, even if you were five years old or you're seven years old and you went through something super traumatic in your childhood, like whatever, I'm telling you your soul chose it. I'm, I'm telling you that you were put on this path for a reason to teach you something so that you could be come out of it empowered. And it's a part of your journey and it's something you have to crush. Like you have to overcome this. I don't care how long it takes you. It is the opinion of co-host of Deep Thoughts with the Dixon and Brian that if you were on this planet, you were put here to learn a lot of things. A lot of things. Or else you wouldn't be here. Agreed. The whole point of life is learning. So It's a giant playground. I went to this woman a couple of years ago and this has completely shifted my mindset about a certain situation in my life. And... She brought up things that like now she brought something up that kind of tied into something of something that was kind of happening in my life and I couldn't get over it. And I was holding a lot of like pressure about it in, in myself. And let's just say that she she put me to a point where I started crying. But Brian could not see me. He was sitting at like the foot of where I was and I was laying down and I was just silently like tears were just coming out of my eyes, with my eyes closed while she was doing the reading and healing, whatever you want to call it. And when I got up, all I felt was I felt like I was talking to myself for the last hour. I felt like because I went in with such an open mind, you know, I, I was so the way desperate. I look at our reality. I think that you were like she was projecting yeah. you off the same energy literally you're connected to when she told me that something was some this thing that occurred occurred several times in my lifetimes again and again and again. And it made me feel X, Y, Z. The stories were all different, but the feeling she'd be like, you felt like this in this life. You felt like this again. And then you felt like this again. And in this lifetime, it happened again. And that's when I was just like, oh, I'm getting goosebumps while I'm talking about it. I was like, oh, my God. And I think that moment forward, I, I got up and Brian knew that I, I don't know how you knew I was upset. But I saw you crying. You like grabbed my arm and I was just like, holy crap, like this woman knows nothing about my life or my family. Like, And so when that occurred, it gave me so much power. I cannot explain it. I have never shed a tear about this situation. I absolutely know that this situation is going to come to pass. I know that what exactly what I want to happen is going to happen soon. I cannot explain 
the feeling I felt that sometimes I'll go on runs and I'll be like, damn, I can't believe it took me 5,000 life or like five lifetimes, I think three or four lifetimes to learn this. And I say to myself in this lifetime, this is going to happen my way. Like I control this now. This is a, it's very empowering. It's extremely empowering. This isn't anything to do with victim trauma, kind of the topic. But when I was with, with this lady with Nina too, and you know, I mentioned it before, she had no information about us. We went to her, I didn't even give her any identifiable contact information for us to contact her with. And uh, so there's really no way she could have gone and researched us whatsoever. And she's doing one of my readings. She walked me through like three or four different past lives. She walked Nina through several. And one of mine, she goes, man, you were, uh," she's like, you're an old soul. She goes, I'm picking up on something that was actually from Atlantis, like even before the Egyptian times. And I was like, just listening, you know, you just sit there and kind of quiet. You can ask questions throughout the process after she gets the initial stuff out. And she goes, what I find interesting is back then you were surrounded by people in like the science and technology space. And you were like this orchestrator that basically was this point center of gravity for all these people working on innovations in science and technology. And she goes, and you created this like device or some type of brand new innovation that connected human consciousness and technology. She's like, I I just keep seeing consciousness and technology. This was literally like several, like two or three months I can't, it was like around that time or mm, not like that six months, after. So like maybe six months yeah. after I had released my third book, literally called consciousness in tech yeah. about this exact topic. And then I think about myself, like in this lifetime, what do I do? I'm literally running these accelerator programs, investing in tech startups and these brilliant entrepreneurs, and we're helping them grow their businesses right in the middle of science and technology. Like everything that she was laying out for me is literally being played out in this particular lifetime as well. It was really remarkable. Yeah. So it's almost like you chose your path. Yeah. Like you chose this or, or it's confirmation you chose the right one, Yeah. you know? Um, but anyways, that those are the two things that I have to wrap this up with is you have the power over your mind. Control your mind. Control what you're thinking about. Be very intentional about what you're thinking about. Don't just let your mind run rampant and try to keep in perspective that you chose that event in your life. So don't play victim. Um, nothing good comes out of that. And you in this lifetime should make a promise to yourself that I'm going to write a new story now for myself. And that doesn't con- I'm going to overcome that. It, that chord breaks now. Yeah. Um, and that's all we have for you guys. Today. Cool. Hope you this was good. I, I like this good. one. I like this one too. I felt good about this. I hope you guys liked it. Yeah. We hope you guys, um, if you guys like this episode, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple podcasts. And if you have any questions or suggestions, as always reach out to us. My handle on Instagram is Nina pal Dixon. Brian's is Brian Dixon zero six. And we'll see you guys next week. If it's challenging for you guys to wait seven days to hear from us again, please shoot us a note on one of our social channels. We'd love to chat with you. I wonder if people get sick of hearing us for an (laughs) hour. (laughs) Much, yeah, much love. We'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. Bye. Thank you.